Clancy Pasta presents My Baby Started Laughing in the Middle of the Cemetery Written by North Selection 9 There's been two times in my life where I've ever really cried. When I was 11, when I learned my mother was never coming back, and after my father had been buried. My father was a big, burly man, the kind who filled a room with both his stature and personality. His jovial exterior concealed the long-hidden pain of my mother's leaving. His long shifts as a delivery driver took him all over the country. In the mornings, when he came back, his eyes would be red, the bags beneath them the size of gunny sacks. He would collapse onto the sofa, where he wouldn't wake up for hours, and he had done it all for us. Despite his strength, lung cancer had been quick to consume him. The one-pack-a-day habit he'd picked up to cope might have had something to do with that. My father had died long before he was ever laid in that coffin. We had watched helplessly as he had wasted away to his skeleton, whose graying skin hung from his emaciated body in drooping folds, his haggard, wheezing breaths muffled by the oxygen mask strapped to his face. He was barely coherent most times he was conscious, due to the multiple medications he was on to ease his pain. When he was, he'd hallucinate, screaming that something kept holding him down in the night and trying to squeeze the breath out of him, and begging us to get him out of there. His eyes had been emptied of all former soul, now brimming with pure desperation. All his life, my father had put on a smile for us. When he had been dying, I was determined to do the same for him to ease the agony of the final few months. Even when he choked out his last breaths and the weak jolt of his ECG monitor had trailed off into a high-pitched flatline, the tears had brimmed inside but hadn't spilled. The one thing that kept me from breaking down in the middle of the service was my daughter, Katie. At six months old, she was already vocalizing, babbling and cooing throughout the service, completely oblivious to what was going on. She was like a ray of sunlight that penetrated through the dark, permeating clouds of grief. Dad had adored her. She'd been his first grandchild, one he had waited for years for. When she'd been born, he'd been there at the hospital, his arms brimming with presents, a bright pink helium-filled balloon emblazoned with the airy text, It's a girl, tied to his wrist, that bumped against the wide hospital corridors. He'd been there for me when Katie's father had wanted nothing to do with her. His favorite thing to do was whisk her out of her cot and spin her around in the air, where she'd kick her stubby legs in the air and giggle in delight. Even after he'd started coughing up blood and the doctors had forbidden him from doing any strenuous activity, he'd still sneak out of bed to rock her in his arms. I hadn't just cried for my own loss, but for Katie's. She would never get to know him like I had. What a wonderful man he really was. I just wanted to give all the opportunities that he had given me to her, and maybe even be half the parent he was. Rain pattered down, soaking through our dour black funeral garb as the priest had spoken the last rites. Katie had been sheltered from the rain by my umbrella, joined in my hip and the pink baby sling she was strapped to. I held her close all throughout as my father's coffin was lowered into the ground. After my siblings and the rest of the mourners had dispersed, returning the plot to its former undisturbed green, 
I decided to come back with Katie for my own private goodbye, far from prying eyes. I couldn't help but wonder whether I was an emotional masochist for returning. The wind shivered the bright green grass, the heads of wildflowers pushing through the dewy heads after a winter spent long dormant. I marveled at how there was such life in a place with so much death, and the still healing wounds inside me reopened with a searing vengeance. By then, Katie was asleep. Her tiny pink hand rested against my collarbone, her face fixed into an expression of absolute serenity. I found myself longing to experience that perfect, undisturbed, and dreamless sleep again, the sleep of the innocent. I knelt to face my father's tombstone, staring at the golden font chiseled into the polished marble surface. Loving father, husband, and friend. It was reading over those indelible words that it finally bowled over me. He was gone. It was there in the middle of that empty cemetery that I finally allowed myself to cry. A tiny noise from the swaddled bundle against my breast caught my ears. I blinked down, my eyes still blurry with tears which I hurriedly wiped away, thinking that Katie had just woken up. Just as I had been about to take her back to the car for her afternoon feed, I looked down. Her half-open mouth was stretched into a toothless smile despite both eyes being closed. She wriggled around in my grasp like a pupa eager to escape the confines of the cocoon, bursting with trilling gurgles. She was laughing, the way she always did when he... Daddy, I choked out, somewhere between a laugh and a sob. Even in death, he still couldn't help but love her. I lifted her up, cautious not to stir her, and planted a gentle kiss on the fleshy dome of her head, amidst the spare hairs that grew there. I left that cemetery with my head lifted towards the sun that peeked through the clouds, embracing all its warmth as it dried my tears, while my daughter still slept. It was only when we were in the car that the first strange thing started to happen. Just after I had strapped Katie into her car seat, a sudden chill prickled down my spine. Even after I had boosted the air conditioner to the maximum heating settings, it refused to disperse. All the warmth had been sucked out of my body, replaced with an inexplicable feeling of dread. Although it was just the two of us in the car as we drove home, I felt the heaviness of another presence, as if someone else was with us. But every time I checked my driver's mirror, there was only Katie. I started to regret ever returning to the cemetery. But the thought was lost as we pulled up into the driveway. The growing fears inside me were washed away by the familiar side of our house, sandwiched in the middle of our little residential neighborhood, where dogs barked and children played, far removed from the eerie silence of the standing headstones and monuments. I resettled myself back into our normal routine, feeding, diaper changes, playing. By seven, after her latest bottle, Katie had once again succumbed to sleep, her head slumped on the side of her rocker as it had blared out electronic nursery rhymes, milky drool seeping from the corner of her half-open mouth. After placing her in her crib, I had stayed awake for a few more hours. I took the opportunity to indulge in some rare time for myself, sitting on my sofa in my pajamas, 
sipping a freshly brewed cup of coffee and losing myself in the safe mindlessness of reality TV. The incident still played in the back of my mind, but the joy of the memory had dulled. It felt colder, somehow. I knew that the door was safely shut and bolted. I still couldn't shake off the feeling that another person was in the house with us, watching from the shadows. Some sentimental part of me still wanted to believe that it was my father watching over us, but it didn't feel like him at all. It was almost threatening. When I had retired to my own bed, I had expected to stay awake for another hour or two, but the moment my head hit the pillow, my vision had blinkered into darkness. It was the cackle of the baby monitor on the bedside table that had woken me up at around 2.30 or so. After struggling out from under the blankets, I had stared dazedly at the glowing digits on my alarm clock. Usually, Katie woke around 12.30 with near mechanical precision for a midnight feed. For both of us to sleep that long was nothing short of a miracle. I had already slipped one foot into a bedroom slipper when I heard her more clearly. I froze on the side of the bed. Katie was laughing again, but this time, instead of the muted gurgle, it was high-pitched, full-on, hysterical laughter. My throat tightened as I swallowed. Usually, there was no sound more beautiful in the world than my little girl laughing, but hearing it unprovoked in the middle of the night was more than a little unnerving. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was just something wrong about it. There was almost a hint of pain in it. Suddenly, the laughter stopped. Instead, it was replaced by a prolonged silence. I had risen off the bed when a sudden wail blasted through the speakers and I almost toppled to the floor. It was my daughter, crying out for me, struggling to breathe, her tiny voice strained and watery, as if she was choking. I raced to her nursery, with my thoughts drowned out by the pounding of my own heart. As I flicked on the lights, I saw that my daughter's face was blue, dark veins throbbing on her forehead. I ran over to her to pick her up, but it was like trying to lift a semi-truck. It was as if I was fighting against someone else for her. Her limbs juddered up in the air as her little lungs were crushed by an immense invisible pressure. I couldn't lose her. Katie was the last light left in my life. Even when my arms felt as if they were about to snap from the sheer strain of it all, I refused to let go. For her. After what seemed like an eternity, I managed to wrestle her away into my arms. She laid there, her arms hanging limply over the crook of my shoulder. My own breath was frozen in my throat as I searched for any signs of life. I almost cried when she coughed and let out a weak cry. I wanted to hold her to my chest and never let go, but I was afraid of hurting her any further. As I rushed down to the kitchen, searching for the phone to call 911 with, my sight was drawn to a dark purplish mark beneath the strawberry-patterned collar of her baby grow, just above her windpipe. With my mind still rattled, I found myself laying her down on the kitchen table. While I undid the buttons and peeled back her vest, the tremor in my fingers grew stronger, to the point I could barely get a grip. When the full sight was revealed, nausea burned in the back of my throat as I clapped a hand to my mouth. Stretched across her narrow chest 
was a bruise in the perfect impression of a large, four-fingered hand. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. Cheers.